KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. KMTT, the Torah podcast. Today is Tuesday, Shur in Parshat HaShavua. Shur Parshat HaShavua will be given this week as usual by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Parshat Vayigash, I would like to discuss the dramatic crescendo of the story of Yosef and his brothers, perhaps the most dramatic moment uh, in the story, perhaps even um, the dramatic peak of Sefer Breshit itself. Parak Mamhei, Pasuk Aleph, uh, here in Parshat Vayigash, tells us as follows, Yosef And Yosef could not restrain himself in front of all those standing in front of him, around him, and he called, uh, Let every man be removed from in front of me. And then the Torah states, And no one was present when Yosef revealed himself to his brothers. And then, a few verses later, Yosef said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, Haod Avichai, is my father still alive? And his brothers couldn't answer because they were simply shocked. It is rather astounding. What I would like to discuss is the very first few words of this passage which I just read. Perak Mamhe, Pasuk Aleph, begins again as follows. Yosef And translating as literally as possible, Yosef could no longer restrain himself. Yosef could no longer maintain his self-control. He could not continue any further. And therefore, Yosef screams for everybody to be removed, and he reveals himself to his brothers, and he declares himself as Yosef. Now, I think what is interesting to investigate here is what exactly is the context of Yosef's inability to restrain himself, his inability to maintain his self-control. And the answer, of course, is the speech of Yehuda. Pashat Vayigash, beginning in Perek Memdalet Pasuk Yud Chet, on through Perek Memdalet Pasuk Lamed Dalet, is in fact the address of Yehuda to this person, who he of course perceives as the Egyptian uh, viceroy, uh, but of course is in fact Yosef. And it is something about this speech that penetrates through the mask that Yosef wears, that penetrates the heart of Yosef, and creates the situation where Lo Yachal Yosef Tapek, Yosef could no longer continue on. And what I would like to try to locate or identify uh, is what exactly is it about Yehuda's speech? What exactly is the element of Yehuda's speech uh, that penetrates to Yosef's heart, that creates the situation of Lo Yachal Yosef Tapek? Why can Yosef no longer continue on? Why must he reveal himself at this point in time? This is one question. Now, I think this question, this particular question about what is it uh, about Yudah's speech that causes Yosef to reveal himself at this point in time, is connected up to a a larger and broader question um, regarding the narrative of Yosef and his brothers. And I think the key to understanding this is the word here, lehitapek, which appears in Perak Memhei Pasuk Aleph, this, in fact, is not the only place in the story where this word uh, appears. And I'd like to uh, take us back uh, to something previously, back to Perak Mem Gimel, to last week's Parsha, and to pick it up in Perak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Lamed. Uh, Perak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Lamed, picks things up upon the brothers' return a second time to Egypt. Uh, this time, of course, they have arrived with Binyamin, 
and they are immediately escorted to uh, Beit Yosef. Um, eventually, Yosef comes in, and we're told as uh, immediate preceding context in Pasuk Kavtet, and Yosef lifted up his eyes, and he saw Binyamin, the brother, uh, his, part, his brother, the son of his mother, um, etc. He blesses Binyamin, and then in Pasuk Lamed, and Yosef hurried away uh, because his mercy had been aroused upon his brothers and he wanted to cry so he concealed himself in a side room and he cried there and then we're told in Pasuk Lamed Aleph he washed his face and he controlled himself or he restrained himself and, and the story goes on from there and we see that until this point in time Yosef has been able to maintain his self-control he's been able to maintain his restraint he's been mitapik and of course, as we well know, the uh, restraint of Yosef, the self-control of Yosef, is not simply for its own sake, but it's in service of a certain plan, of a certain plan that Yosef deliberately uh, and in a calculating fashion carries out uh, throughout the story. If we take a look uh, a bit later on uh, in the passage uh, in Miketz, Perk Mem Dalet Pasuk Aleph tells us as follows, V'yitzavet asher al etam Ochel fill up their bags with food, kasha yuchunz ate, as much food as they can carry, sim keshef ish bifi am tachto. But in addition to giving them food, Yosef commands his man, um, his servant, to return the brother's money, and not just the brother's money, et gvi'ai gvi'i ha-kesef, as well, and my cup, the silver cup, tasim b'fi am takaton, and of course Yosef also commands to place a silver cup in the bag of Binyamin, and of course the purpose of all this, the return of the money, um, and the placement of the cup, is to create the scenario where the brothers are then going to be brought yet again back a third time to Egypt, they're going to be accused of theft, and there's going to be this possibility of Binyamin being enslaved, and of course, what happens here is, well, what happens here is a bit unclear. Yosef has some plan, and his self-control, uh, his ability to be mitapek, his restraint, is in service of his plan. But we're not at all certain what exactly the plan, what exactly the motivation of Yosef is throughout uh, the story. It's not just here in the placement of the money and the placement of the cup that Yosef's motivation is unclear. But if we go further back... Um, the previous time the brothers left Egypt, Yosef also ordered that the money uh, be placed in their bag. And the very first time they came to Egypt, Yosef accused them of being raglim. And I would say from the very beginning of the story, when the brothers show in front of Yosef, and Yosef A accuses them of raglim, of being spies, B uh, places the money for the first time in their bags, uh, C uh, places the money and the gvi'a, the money a second time, and the cup in their bags. Really, throughout the story, simply put, the general question is that Yosef's motivation is unclear. We're not really certain what is driving him. So what I would like to do is to try to explore uh, these two interrelated uh, questions. In other words, one, what really is Yosef's plan all along? What is driving him? Um, what purpose does his self-control serve throughout the story? And two, what exactly is it about Yehuda's speech that wreaks the change in Yosef, that dictates this is no longer the time for self-restraint, no longer the time for control? What is it about Yehuda's speech that causes Yosef to decide this is the moment for revelation and reconciliation?
Now, there are quite a few different uh, resolutions uh, that I'm aware of to uh, these two issues, these intertwined problems. What I would like to do in the Shi'ur uh, right now is to explore the approach of Ramban um, to Yosef's motivation uh, and to follow along um, some of the comments of Ramban, which I think uh, present an interpretation of Yosef's motivation and also um, the reason for Yosef's uh, no longer being willing to control himself in Perak Memhe Pasuk Aleph. Although as a caveat, I would just like to point out that I have some personal hesitations about Ramban's interpretation in general. Yet nevertheless, I think uh, today we will follow along with Ramban. Now, Ramban's comment, uh, which uh, launches the particular approach I'd like to explore, uh, is found back in Perak Membet, in fact, on uh, Pasuk Chet. So let us go back to Perak Membet Pasuk Chet, which is in fact uh, the point in time or the point in the story where Yosef's brothers come to Mitzrayim for the first time and appear in front of him. And the Torah tells us there in Perak Membet Pasuk Chet, um, after the brothers bow down in front of Yosef, Vayaker Yosef et Achav Vehem Lohekiruhu. And uh, Yosef recognized his brothers, Vehem Lohekiruhu, and they did not uh, recognize him. Pasuk Tet. And Yosef remembered the dreams that he dreamt to them, or that he dreamt regarding them, or that he'd once told them many years before. And he said to them, You are spies. Now, the Torah here in these two short psukim conjoins three things. A. Uh, the fact that Yosef recognizes his brothers. B. Uh, the fact that Yosef remembers the dreams. And C. The accusation that they are spies. In other words, apparently, there is some sort of connection um, between Yosef's remembering of the dreams and his accusation or the beginnings of his plan, uh, the beginnings of his path of accusing them of spies, which is, of course, going to lead to whatever it's going to lead to later on. And, and the question, of course, is what exactly is this connection between the recognition of his brothers, the remembering of the dreams, and the accusation of the brothers being spies? Now, Rashi tells us uh, that Pasuk Tet, the beginning of Pasuk Tet, Yosef remembered the dreams that he dreamt to the brothers, should be understood as Yosef now understands that the dreams have been mitkayem, that the dreams have been accomplished. Just a few verses previously in Pasuk Vav, the Torah tells us, Yosef hu he was the controlling agent, the one who distributed food to everyone in the land. They bowed to him twice. So Rashi says, He recognized his brothers bowing down to him, and Yosef remembered the dreams. He knew that they had been accomplished, and this means, apparently, that that chapter is closed. Everything is behind uh, them. Um, whatever Yosef dreamed is now in the past. A new chapter begins, and somehow or another, the claim of Miraglem is meant to initiate this new chapter. Or perhaps, 
according to Rashi. Um, Yosef recognizes his brothers, sees them bowing down. He remembers the dreams. He knows that he was right all along. And now, having been confirmed in whatever attitude lay behind the dreams, he knows that he must move down a certain path, and he makes the claim of Muraglim. But either way, for Rashi, the remembering of the dreams is recognition of the fact that the dreams have been accomplished already, and the story must be interpreted in that light. Ramban, however, uh, disagrees with Rashi. And Ramban succinctly points out that in the first dream of the Alumim, um, it is all the brothers who are located in the field, um, and it is the bundles of all of the brothers uh, that are bowing down um, to the bundle of Yosef. And here, in this context of the brothers' first arrival in Mitzrayim, um, it's not really all of the brothers who are present. In fact, it is uh, only some of the brothers, because Binyamin is, of course, back in the land of Canaan, with his fathers, uh, with his father. And therefore, Rabban claims Yosef's remembrance of the dream means that he realizes that the dream is almost accomplished, almost fulfilled, but not exactly. And Ramban then uh, succinctly uh, states as follows. Since uh, Yosef did not see Binyamin along with the uh, other brothers, he thought of this trick or, or this plan that he would accuse them. Um, Yosef's motivation, Yosef's plan in accusing the brothers of being spies and the demand to bring Binyamin to Mitzrayim is in fact in order to accomplish the first dream that all his brothers would bow down to him. Rabban continues on uh, a few lines later and says as follows, And after the first dream was accomplished, Yosef devised some sort of plan or informed them of some sort of instructions in order to accomplish the second dream. And later on, Ramban says, In describing Yosef's motivation, Ramban claims that he did everything in its appropriate time, in its appropriate place, um, this is a bit of a mysterious comment, but what it seems to mean is Yosef did everything in order to accomplish his dreams because he knew that they would be accomplished in truth. Now, leaving out the Kabbalistic illusion uh, contained in the phrase emet, found in the text of the commentary of Ramban on the Torah, what Ramban seems to indicate is that everything that Yosef does from the first accusation of the brothers being spies, through um, the demand for Binyamin to be brought to Mitzrayim, through the return of the Kesef and the eventual trick with the Gviyah, all of it is some sort of pursuit of the accomplishment of the original dreams that uh, Yosef had dreamed. And the way these Pesukim in Perak Membet, Pasuk Chet, and Tet should be read is as alluding exactly to that. Yosef remembered both dreams, knew that he had to make them come true, and he begins to pursue his plan. So the general claim of Ramban is is that what is Yosef's motivation throughout the story of um, Yosef and his brothers? It is Yosef's need, Yosef's requirement um, to somehow, or his dedication uh, to somehow seeing his dreams realized. Now, while for Ramban himself, uh, the interpretation of Yosef as being motivated by the attempt to make his dreams be realized in a concrete fashion in this world uh, is 
apparently connected to some sort of Kabbalistic element uh, hinted at in the phrase Ad kiadashit kaimu be'emet um, because Yosef knew that they would in fact indeed come true. I think on the on the simple psychological plane or on the plane of Pshuta Shem Mikra, Ramban is certainly onto something in attempting to explain Yosef's actions throughout the story as rooted in his dreams. After all, uh, in terms of what we know about the character of Yosef, Yosef is a person who is very connected uh, to his dreams. Yosef is a person who has a sense of destiny um, and is highly connected uh, to his destiny. His dreams have brought him low in life. They have got him thrown into the pit. And his dreams have also brought him high in life. They have turned him into the second in command to Paro. They have, in fact, put him in charge of all of uh, Mitzrayim. Yosef is, in the end of the day, dedicated not just to the interpretation of dreams, but his day-to-day life in Egypt consists of making the dreams of Paro into reality. Uh, He is the one who launches the plan and controls the plan and acts to gather all the grain from Egypt and eventually distribute it uh, to those who are affected by famine. So we might say there's a kind of almost kalvachoma here, um, a case of deduction. Um, If Yosef is, so to speak, required to make the dreams of Paro come true, to turn them into concrete reality, then certainly, without a shadow of a doubt, Yosef is required to work in a concrete fashion to make his own dreams come true, because that is what Yosef's life is all about. It is about making dreams into reality. It is about um, this destiny uh, that has been with him from the very, very beginning. Um, Now, if we wish to cast this on the theological plane, um, for Yosef, dreams are the only divine communication um, that he receives. Unlike his father, whose dreams contain angels and divine voices that make explicit promises and give explicit instructions, Yosef's dreams are, are nothing more than riddles. They're kind of hints of the divine wish, the divine desire, the divine plan, and it is part of human responsibility from Yosef's perspective to interpret these dreams and to turn them into a concrete reality, to work to make destiny happen in the real world. So I think that Ramban, in talking about dreams as a central motivating factor for Yosef, is certainly onto something. Now, if this is correct, um, then we need to ask ourselves, at, at what point um, do these dreams uh, come true? Uh, if they, in fact, do come true for Yosef. Um, and I think this will bring us back to the first question we began with today, Uh, the question of Yosef's inability to control himself, his inability to to act with self-restraint, and what is it about the speech of Yudah that gets to uh, Yosef? But first, the question of when, in fact, the dreams come true. Well, if we take a look in Parak Mem Gimel, I think certainly there we can locate uh, a point in time where perhaps one of the dreams of Yosef uh, indeed... uh, comes to fruition and becomes reality. Um, in Parak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Kafvav, um, in the midst of the Torah's description of the arrival of the brothers in Egypt for a second time, uh, we're told the brothers have been brought to the house, they prepare their mincha, Pasuk Kafchet, Parak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Kafchet, mincha ad Yosef they prepared their offering until Yosef came in the afternoon, they heard that they would be supping there, uh, they would be eating bread there. 
and they gave him the offering that was in their hands. And they bowed down to Yosef. Um, all of the brothers bowed down to Yosef. And we may well say this is the accomplishment of the very first dream that Yosef had dreamt back in Pashat Vayeshev in Parak Lam and Zayin, Pasuk Zayin. Um, where there we're told, the bundles of all the brothers bow down. So here, all the brothers themselves uh, bow down to Yosef, and here we see the dream as concrete reality. Well, if not here, there's of course another place where the brothers bow down again um, to Yosef later on in the next parak, um, after the servant of Yosef chases them down and brings them back to Egypt um, for the third time. And uh, the Gviya is found in the sack of Binyamin. The cup is found in the bag of Binyamin. And in Pasuk Yudalad, Perek Mamdalad, Pasuk Yudalad, we're told as follows, And the Yehuda and his brothers were brought to the house of Yosef, and he was still living. And they fell down on the ground in front of Yosef. Um, so here they bow down again. So... Clearly, the first dream comes true, if we interpret, of course, the bundles as being symbolic of the brothers. Uh, so the first dream comes true. And Yosef accomplishes this purpose according to the interpretation of Ramban. Well, what about the second dream? As we should remember, the second dream back in Parak Lamed Zayin of Parashat Ve'eshev um, regards the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Uh, it is a dream uh, of cosmic significance. Um, and Perak Lamed Zayim Pasuk Tet says, Vayachalam od chalom acher. He dreamt another dream. Vayisaper otel lecha. Vayama hinei chalam di chalom. Od vinei hashemesh vayarech. Vacharasach kokavim mishtachabim li. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to me. Um, now, if the number 11 represents the brothers, as Yaakov himself seems to interpret uh, Yosef's dream back in Perak Lamed Zayin, the sun and the moon represent the father and mother, uh, respect, respectively. And it's unclear whether the second dream, whatever it means, ever seems to come true. Um, it's hard to locate a place in um, the Chumash where we see this second dream, whatever its meaning, uh, coming true. And I think what we have to claim, according to Ramban's interpretation, is that on some plane... Uh, if Yosef was working for the accomplishment of both dreams, not just the first, but the second as well, that Yosef's plan is rudely interrupted uh, at some point. And I think uh, the logical conclusion of Ramban's interpretation of Yosef's general motivation is that it's exactly in our pasuk, Perak Memhei, pasuk Aleph, that Yosef's plan is interrupted. Yosef acts with self-restraint and control in pursuit of his accomplishment, of his realization of the two dreams. Perak Memhei, Pasuk Aleph tells us, V'lo yacho Yosef letapek, etc. Yosef can no longer restrain himself. Yosef can no longer control himself. Yosef can no longer pursue his plan. And Yosef abandons his plan. And in abandoning his plan, Yosef reveals himself to his brothers. And the second dream is never accomplished. Because Yosef can no longer be metapek. Yosef can no longer pursue his plan. Now, what we need to do is to point out well, why exactly is it that Yosef, so to speak, gives up his destiny, gives up his dreams, gives up his desire and his need um, to see his dreams realized in reality? Until now, he has been able to sustain himself and to control himself and to follow his destiny, so to speak. 
but now no longer. The question is, why not? And this, I think, brings us back to the text here, um, the seam between the end of Perak Memdal and the beginning of Perak Memhei, the reaction of Yosef to the speech of Yehuda. I think almost without uh, a shadow of a doubt, um, the element in Yehuda's speech that gets to Yosef on this interpretation of Yosef in the story is Yehuda's focus on, on Yaakov, Yehuda's focus uh, on his father, and on their father, in fact. Uh, and I'd like to go back to um, Perak Memdalid, um, Pasuk Kavzayin, uh, the point um, in Yudah's speech where, as opposed to reporting the original conversation between himself, Yudah, and the Egyptian ruler, i.e. Yosef, Yudah switches modes and begins to speak for Yaakov or to say what Yaakov had said to him back in Canaan. And Perak Memdal, Pasuk Kavzayin, says as follows, Ve'omer, and your servant, our father, uh, said to us, uh, You know, I, you the brothers, you my sons, know that only two were born to me by my wife. Yudah here speaks and places the claim in the mouth of Yaakov that he had one wife, Ishto. And he only had two children by that wife, of course, Yosef and Binyamin. And one of them left me. Behold, he had been ripped to shreds. And here, Yudah expresses the special connection, speaking for Yaakov, expresses the special connection that Yaakov had for Rachel and had for the sons of Rachel, for Yosef, and of course for Binyamin. And a few verses later, um, Yudah sums this up succinctly in Pasuk Lamed when he says, And when I will come to your servant, our father, my father, and the Nar, the boy, i.e. Binyamin, is not with us, His soul is tied up with his soul. There's this special connection that exists between Yaakov and Binyamin because he's all that's left from his wife. The other brother is now gone. There's an intimate soul-based connection um, between the two of them. And this is one point that Yuda stresses in his speech. Now, there's something that's um, closely connected to this. In the very same part of the speech, um, in Pasuk Kaftet, Yuda speaks for Yaakov and says as follows, And you will take this one from me as well, and an accident or a disaster will happen to him. And you, by taking him and allowing an accident to happen to him, you will cause my old age to go down in a state of evil, in a state of agony, to the underworld, to death, to Sha'ullah, to the netherworld. Here, Yehuda has Yaakov speak of his own looming death in agony, misery, and mourning that would be caused by the loss of Binyamin. And then, a few verses later, um, Yehuda repeats the exact same words a second time, um, not here, so to speak, Yaakov saying it through the mouth of Yudah, but Yudah saying it through his own mouth. Um, Yudah says in Pasuk Laman, when he will see that the lad is not brought back, when Binyamin does not return, and he will die. And 
and your servant, I myself, Yehuda, would have caused to have taken down the old age of your servant, my father, in agony to the underworld. Yaakov was miserable. Yaakov was in agony. He will go down to the underworld, to his own death, in misery, if he loses this one who he has this special connection to. So Yehuda says this twice. And likewise, the term bira'ah, uh, literally in evil or perhaps in agony or, or anguish which Yehuda had used in Pasuk Lamed that is in fact almost the very last word he says to Yosef before Yosef reveals himself at the end of Yehuda's speech in Parak Memdalet Pasuk Lamedalet Ki eich ele el avi how can I go up to my father Vanar in any way and the lad will not be with me pen ere bara how can I see the evil or the agony or the anguish that will befall my father? And immediately following this, um, and Yosef could not restrain himself um, from uh, in front of all those who stood in front of him, and Yosef reveals himself. In his attempt to reach the heart of the Egyptian ruler who stood in front of him, Yudah plays up uh, the special connection that Yaakov has to Binyamin, to the sons of Rachel. Uh, Yehuda plays up the anguish of Yaakov and the impending death in agony and mourning of Yaakov if Binyamin does not return. But, of course, although intended to reach the Egyptian ruler, this, in fact, reaches Yosef. And it is Yosef's sympathy, Yosef's care, Yosef's empathy for his father that causes him to crack. Yosef cannot control himself anymore. He can no longer pursue his plan any further because he cannot imagine what it would do to his father. He cannot bear to hear Yudah's words. And it is exactly this central focus on his father which, of course, explains the very first thing that Yosef says when he reveals himself. In Pasuk Gimel, Vayomer Yosef Elachav, and Yosef said to his brother, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, Ha'odavichai, does my father live? But hasn't Yudah just been talking about his father? But what here comes to the fore is Yosef's care for his father. All this talk of Yaakov's impending death, Yagon Sheolah, Yosef can no longer restrain himself. I am Yosef, does my father live? Destiny is thrown out the window. Pursuit of destiny is thrown out the window. And as Yosef's care and concern and empathy and love of his father that shines forth and causes him to abandon his plan to accomplish even his second dream. Now, we might say that what emerges from Ramban's uh, interpretation of Yosef as being driven uh, by destiny, uh, by the need, or what he perceives as a divine demand to accomplish his dreams, I think what emerges is a very interesting reading of our passages, of our passage. Yosef is caught in a bind. On the one hand, there is his destiny, there, is, there are his dreams, and the requirement to pursue them, to make them real in the concrete world. On the other hand, there is the love of his father, uh, there is not so much, so, so much to speak Yosef's destiny, but his humanity, his concern, and his empathy. At this moment, Yosef gives up on his destiny. He gives up pursuing his dreams, and he chooses his humanity, his love for his father. It is the moment in time where his care and his concern, his love, his humanity triumph over his vision of his own destiny. And that is what is going on in Perak Memhe Pasuk Aleph, and that is what is contained in this idea of Lo Yichosu and the cry of Ha'od Avichai. Now, I think if this is correct, I have my hesitations about it, but if this is the right way to read Ramban's interpretations, uh, interpretation, what emerges here is something very interesting. And what I mean by this is as follows. Then at the end of the day, the story of the reconciliation of the family, that they in fact all come back together in the end of the days, in the end of the day, 
The story of the fact that the family is saved from famine and is able to live together in Mitzrayim, this all happens because Yosef gives up on his sense of destiny. Because Yosef gives up on his pursuit of his dreams or of making his dreams a reality, this is, in the end of the day, what allows the family to reconcile and to become one once again. And I think this kind of balance between humanity and destiny is a very interesting issue uh, to consider. I would like to close with one last point uh, and to pursue a little bit uh, further on in the Pesukim because I think there's something slightly incorrect uh, in the formulation um, that I just stated a few moments ago. I think if we go on in the Pesukim, I think it emerges that it's not exactly that Yosef's humanity triumphs over his sense of destiny and he gives up on his sense of destiny. I think something a bit more sophisticated and complicated is, is going on. Um, let us pick it up in Perak Memhei, Pasuk Dalid, um, where Yosef continues on uh, to speak to his brothers. And the Torah says as follows. Vayomer Yosef elachav ani Yosef haod avichai lo yachlu... Sorry, Pasuk Dalid. Vayomer Yosef elachav gashu na elai. Come close to me. Vayigash when they came close. Vayomer... And Yosef said, "Ani Yosef achichem, Hashem archartem oti mitzrayim. I'm Yosef, your brother, who you sold to Egypt." Pasukei, v'ata al te'atzvu. Do not be sad. V'al yichar be'enichem, and do not be upset. Ki mechartem oti heina that you sold me here. Ki lemichia shelachani elokim lefnechem. Because for survival or for provision, God sent me ahead of you. In this. Great moment of tzitkut, uh, of righteousness. Yosef says to his brothers, he forgives them and says, it was all divine providence, there was a divine purpose. Do not be upset, do not feel bad. It was for the purpose of my being able to provide for you that lemichia, that I was sent here. It's all part of God's plan. There's another two years left to the famine. Pardon me, we're already two years into the famine. Five more years that there's no going to be no... Uh, plowing or, or harvesting. And then again, it's all, divine, it's all the divine plan. Um, and God sent me in front of you to be able to preserve a remnant of you in the land, to keep you alive, a great remnant. Um, Yosef repeats over and over, it wasn't your doing, it was God's doing. And the purpose is to be able to provide food, to provide physically for you. is the phrase that Yosef uses. Now, although Yosef is, of course, trying to console his brothers here and refer to the divine plan, I think there's a very interesting connection between the Michia and the Chavish and the Katsir mentioned here, um, and, again, Yosef's dreams. If we go back to the imagery of the very first dream, of course, the imagery of the first dream is that of alumim, of bundles, of wheat, of provision. Parak Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Zayin, tells us as follows. Um, the bundles of the brothers bow down to the bundle of Yosef. Now, of course, Yosef, in his own youthful imagination, probably interprets this as a dream of rulership. And certainly, the brothers interpret the dream of the bundles, of the alumim, of the wheat, in fact, of the harvest, as a dream of rulership. They say in Perak Lamed Zayin Pasuket, Are you going to be a ruler? But, in fact, it is not necessarily a dream of rulership. 
It is a dream about physical sustenance, and it is a dream about the brothers turning to Yosef for physical sustenance. And the Hishtachavuya, the Baunyan, can easily be interpreted as a notion of dependence. And in the end of the day, the brothers are dependent uh, upon Yosef for physical sustenance. The entire family is dependent upon Yosef for physical sustenance. And I think what Yosef does here in Parak Memhei is he tells the brothers, yes, perhaps the dreams were true, but they really weren't dreams of rulership. They were dreams of providing. They were dreams of lemichia. They were, in fact, dreams where, in an ironic sense, Yosef services his brothers and services his family by providing for them. Yosef, in fact, does not completely give up on his dreams or on his destiny, but he, in fact, reimagines or reinterprets those original youthful dreams through a new prism, through the prism of, of the life that he has led, and now understands them as having meant that his destiny was to provide for his brothers, and that is exactly what he says to his brothers now. And I think likewise, perhaps, regards to the second dream. If we read a, read a bit further on in Perak Memhe, um, Yosef says to his brothers as, as follows in Pasuk Chet, Vata lo atam shlachtem oti ki elokim. It was not you who sent me here, but it was God. Vesimeni la'av l'faro la'adon l'chol beito Moshe mitzrayim. So Yosef says he may be into a father for Paro, a master over his house, and a ruler over all of Eretz Mitzrayim. Now, what Yosef seems to say is, I'm in charge here, and this was God's doing, and I'm in charge of everything. But the language here of Av is, is rather striking. Because, of course, the second dream, the dream of, of the stars and the moon and the sun, and Yaakov and Yosef and the brothers and perhaps all of them had interpreted this youthful dream as somehow being about that his father, the sun, would bow down to him. But... In point of fact, Yosef's dream was perhaps far grander because it was not limited by the family context. Yosef's dream of the entire cosmos bowing down to him is now interpreted by Yosef here in Perak Memhei to mean that the paramount power of the ancient Near East, the land of Egypt, everyone in the land of Egypt bows down to Yosef. And even the sun and the moon of Egypt, even the sun of Egypt, even Paro himself, uh, Yosef is his father. Yosef has switched place with the father exactly as Yaakov kind of interpreted the dream of the cosmos, but in a very different way. He has become the lord over all of Egypt. And Yosef now says to his brothers, the second dream, yes, the second dream maybe was true too, but that's not what it meant. It wasn't about the family. It was about my political position. It was about the cosmos of the political realm of Egypt bowing down to me. The point here is, I think, that Yosef does not so much give up on his sense of destiny but he reinterprets it. His love surfaces, his care is concerned for his family, and he possesses within him the flexibility and the ability to reinterpret his dreams, to reimagine his destiny. And it's that that is the key to the reconciliation with his family and to the preservation of Klal Yisrael, or the nascent nation in the land of Egypt. It is that which is really our insight into the character of Yosef Atzadik, the ability to go with his love, to go with his humanity, and to reimagine his destiny, and to reinterpret his destiny. Um, this is something that perhaps we learn from the Shi'or.